look forward to retirement and avoid the pitfalls. Keep listening for ways to maximize your retirement income. More Than Money with the Popowich Carmelli Advisory Group, CIBC Woodgundy, on News Talk 770. Lifestyle matters. It's more than money. I'm Faisal Carmelli, my co-host here, Dave Popwich. How you doing, buddy? I'm terrific, Faisal. How about you? Full. I'm still cold, man. Yeah. What, well, well we, we survived February. Listen, I got to tell you, February was kind of real winter, but we can't forget we live in a <laughs> winter climate. We've had a great winter this year. No. Yes, we have. No. I think we have. Anything under... February's kind of stunk, for sure. But I was, I was away for a week of it, so maybe I had less of it than you did. <laughs> okay. <laughs> cool show today. Um... <laughs> Uh, something that's near and dear to your heart, losing weight. Yes. <laughs> you do it when you're older. I got to tell you, it's getting. I, I can't even do it now. It's How not do getting it easier. That's right. I got a few years on you. I got to tell you, look into your future, my friend. It's not easy. Um, we're gonna we're gonna talk a little bit about that. It's uh, you know, it's it's not particularly complicated. It takes a bit of discipline, but you know what? It's it's nothing that we haven't heard before. We need to be reminded to do it. And you you lead our health bucket, and part of the health bucket is the lifestyle choices that we make. Correct. Right. So we're gonna talk about that. It is important. Absolutely. How about financial sacrifices? Yeah, you know, there more and more women are are making sacrifices, and mm-hmm. it's it's uh, impacting their ability mm-hmm. to retire. Yep. So we're going to get into the meat of that to find out what are they sacrificing on, what is the impacts. Yep. Uh, I think it's a it's a very important issue going in the future. Terrific. Okay, let's talk a little bit about um, about the the markets. There's been some confusion, I would say, in some of the conversations I talk about, and I'm just going to use Friday as an example. Okay? okay. We get some pretty weak economic data comes out of Canada. <laughs> you get the Canadian market up. So let's just talk about what what's the link between the stock market and economics. Okay. This is confusing for people. Last year, we were telling people the economics looked pretty good, and then, of course, we had negative stock markets. This year, we've got super strong markets, and we've got softening economic data. Yeah, so everything is, is 100% accurate between economics and stocks if there was no emotion. And over time. <laughs> and over time. <laughs> so because we, the stock market is a prediction of the future, right? It adjusts as more data is preva- uh, prevailed in the market. Sure. Okay. So the markets are not a hundred percent efficient. They don't know everything right away. They take a prediction of the future. It's a it's a forecast of future cash. That's, right. That's, That's right. what it really is. Right. Yep. What I was concerned about when it came to the economy and the numbers that we got out from the Canadian GDP. Yep. I was concerned because it was subpar, and what I mean by <clears throat> subpar is that they were producing, uh, on an annualized basis, um, 0.4%, which was about a half a percent below expectation. expectation. So what's the real issue of 0.4? 0.4% may not officially be the R-word, recession, mm-hmm. but it sure feels like it. Mm-hmm. It's slow. And when you feel like you're in a recession, you kind of act like you're in a recession. Right. And my concern with Canada is not what's happened it's where we're headed right and we're getting distracted right now with this whole snc lavalin stuff yeah we got our own little political uh we got some drama drama right? yeah so you know and 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 that we can say for a reality show <laughs> called the trudeau years or whatever <laughs> right but what's getting distracting from this snc lavalin stuff is that we're forgetting or we're not paying attention to the real issues here in canada mm-hmm. And so my frustration starts to build because I'm Canadian. Mm -hmm. Now, let me go over last week. We saw four, five major banks uh, present their earnings. Common theme amongst them was they were earning more money outside of Canada. They were not earning much money or 
increase in their uh, revenue in Canada. Right. The concern going into earnings season was the domestic revenue streams and loan impairments versus those banks that had, say, U.S. exposure or international exposure and how, you know, what the earnings profile was for those revenue, those uh, segments. When an economy is doing very well, one of the biggest beneficiaries of that Mm -hmm. are financial institutions. Mm -hmm. No matter where you are in the world, if your economy is doing well, your banks will do well. Right. Okay. When they're not doing well domestically, what's the sign? Right. What are they saying, basically? Right. Um, That's a... That's an aha moment for people here in, in Canada. Then we look at, we have a pipeline issue. Um, that's not going to probably happen for, I think, five years, but we're hearing two to three years. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm skeptical on that one. And if you look at the products and services that we provide out of this country. Well, the diversity of our economy. It's It's not. Yeah, it's it's not. It's not. And an interesting fact is that Canada is the only G7 nation that doesn't have its own automobile company. We build other companies' cars. Yeah. Yeah, value-added pieces of it, right? Right. Yeah, we put it together. Yep. But we don't have our own. Right. What do we have that's our own that that the other countries around the world are putting their hand up saying, we want to buy that? Right. When you go through your fridge, go through your house, go through your car, what's Canadian? Right. Right. And so we we don't have that competitive advantage. We need to bring that here. And we need government and businesses sitting down in a room, and I think they should lock the door until they come up with a solution, to... Have to shut the government down, maybe. Well, (laughs) isn't it already happening right now? Anyway, I digress. Anyways, the the issue that I have is that there's, there's not much for me to feel bullish about Canada. Now, Canadian stocks are different that we invest in, at least, because the Canadian stocks that we invest in are doing more business outside of Canada than ever before. So they're going to make money outside. So although they're, although they're listed on the Toronto stock market, they're right. not domestic companies. Right. Um, so now, how does this impact the future and retirement? Right. This is where I start to tie the two things together, Dave. And, and when you don't have a growing economy, you don't have a growing tax base. Right which means you don't have enough revenue coming into the country. Now, failure to have revenue coming into the country, fiscally responsible governments will start to cut services. They have to. And my concern is there's two areas that the government's spending is at the highest of their budget. One is healthcare, the other one is social programs. Mm-hmm. I'm going to focus on healthcare because we have an aging demographic. Over 27% of our population will be over the age of 65 in a few years. Mm-hmm. That means one in four, approximately, will have exposure to health issues well, as in, they age. In, increasing health Increasing. Issues. Thank yeah. you. That's a better <clears throat> word. So now my concern is if we don't have enough money coming at the top, yeah. how are we paying for all this additional services at the bottom? I think there's going to be a cut there. Then there's also other benefits of Canada. We are a beautiful country. We have a lot of resources. We have a lot of parks and water and and. And this, these things to maintain costs, we're going to lose some of that potentially. And so my concern is the enjoyment of being in Canada mm-hmm. is going to dwindle. The healthcare system in Canada is going to dwindle. And so my concern again is what kind of enjoyment of lifestyle will you have in retirement when well, we have this type of problem? So, so when you say dwindle, I want people to understand that what, it, what, what may happen, Faisal, is you may have to pay out of pocket, right? So there's going to be a shifting of, of that. So if parks can no longer be you know, free services, then the, the cost of those, it's, it becomes more of a user pay. Correct. Right? Becomes more user pay. So people, 
you need to be aware of that, right? So as you're retiring and we're talking about a quality of life and the things that you want to do uh, in your, you know, to achieve that lifestyle you've worked so hard for, then some of the things that you maybe take advantage of for low cost or free may in fact cost more or have a cost. You know what I find interesting is I'm part of this uh, social media group uh, of retirees from around the world. And a lot of them are Americans on this. When they talk about their retirement Mm -hmm. on this chat line Mm -hmm. or on on this Facebook chat group, they are talking about retiring within their country. Mm -hmm. When we talk to our clients, they talk about leaving the country. Not not for long-term, like, moving but right. for their enjoyment right they want to leave our country where's the money going to go right. it's not going to be in canada right not going to so, get spent here so if you're going to have discretionary spending of parks and rec and other things that you can do here in this country or hit some other country and you choose other countries that's going to hurt our economy even more mm-hmm. we have to make it more attractive mm-hmm. and so i think the government and business and individuals have to get together and work on this program. Otherwise, be prepared for future retirement to be out of pocket more than ever before. Right. And I just want to come back. We've got maybe a minute. But I want to come back to this notion that, um, you know, on Friday you get this weak economic data comes out. We see we see um, markets move higher. It, valuations are important. I mean, we had a conference call. We talked about this, right? The kind of company you invest in a Canadian company that has international revenue, U.S. focus, okay, is a domestic company, but it's got a revenue stream elsewhere. So it's very, very important that if your economic call is that Canada, if we've got a consumer that's indebted and is going to stop uh, spending, and we did not see in this most recent report that business spending is picking up to replace that, Correct. right? You would expect to see GDP come down. So there's some implications on that. You've got to be very specific about the kinds of investments you have. It doesn't mean Canadian companies are bad because fundamentally, okay, the valuation becomes important. But it does mean that we've got some challenges in this particular economy, right, in our national economy, never mind our, our provincial economy, that we have to address. And this is what I want to leave you with, at the push of a button, Calgarians, Albertans, and Canadians can get exposure outside of Canada in a heartbeat. You do not have to be invested just in this country if this is not the best country to have your money. And I hate saying that as a Canadian, but from an investment perspective, um, we can do that very easily. Yeah. Now, we're going to talk about this more and into detail and showing how to bulletproof your retirement on Tuesday, March 26th at our 8.30 session because our 7 7 p.m. session is already full. We are at the Four Points Sheraton Hotel in the west side of Calgary. You need to give us a call to reserve your seats, 966-8400. That's 966-8400. Or go on our website to register at morethanmoneyradio.ca. Health is important, and sometimes our lifestyle choice is working against us. Tune in for the next uh, uh, next segment. We're going to talk about how to make those two things equal. You're on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Welcome back. You're here with David Faisal on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Um, a topic very near and dear to your heart. Yep. <sighs> Pear is a shape. So is a watermelon. <laughs> Listen. I, unfortunately, am the shape of both of them. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we've determined that you're in shape. It's just maybe not the shape that we want. My kids say I'm a well-rounded individual. Yes, you are well-rounded. I can't, yeah. And I can't argue on my side either. Anyways, <laughs> listen, we, you know, we all know that, um, that uh, lifestyle choices, when we talk about the health bucket, part of what we talk about is the lifestyle choices you make. And you know, one of the things that we do have control over is, is um, weight, right? We can make some choices and as you age it becomes more challenging to lose the weight yeah and so there's been some new studies about this about this age demographic as you're getting older what do you do we're going to figure that out but 
you and I are not the right people to talk about this. <laughs> no, we, we're going to listen intently to this. We've got <laughs> Dr. Kristen Beavers, who's a researcher at Wake Forest University, joining us. Dr. Beavers, thanks for spending a bit of time with us today. Thanks for having me. All right. So let's let's talk a little bit about weight loss here. And um, maybe explain why it's harder for me at 51 than it is for Faisal at whatever age he is, significantly younger A lot younger, younger. A yeah. lot younger. Why does it get harder? <laughs> Um, well, uh, that, that is a loaded question for sure. I would say to begin with, um, d- in general, while we think about weight as being bad, it's really fat that we're concerned about. Right, right. And what happens as you age, I mean, this happens to everyone, is just that muscle and bone mass start to decline around your 30s, something like that, uh, where fat mass tends to creep upward uh, until you're maybe in your mid-70s. And so I think some of the reason it's difficult is because you have this shifting in compartments that really contributes to health risk um, and makes it harder for you to keep your metabolism up if your muscle mass is going down, things like that. So that's why my, my chest decided it needed to move to my stomach. I don't know what happened there. Okay, so <laughs> that was too much information. I know. Let's let's so let's talk a little bit about sort of safe weight loss. Um, it, it's, so we know there's differences, obviously, between uh, you know older people and younger people. But uh, I want to talk a little bit about uh, about sort of safe weight loss for seniors because you've hit on something I think that's really important. Is uh, it's not about weight; it's about the composition, right? So mm-hmm. you, you, it's totally fine if you're gaining weight, but you're putting on muscle mass to support your structure and everything. So maybe just give us a little bit of insight there. Uh, about what seniors should be thinking about and what safe weight weight loss actually means. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that um, what folks can generally ag- agree on is if you can do it, you'd maximize fat loss while minimizing muscle and bone loss. Right. And so then obviously the question is, well, exactly, you know, how might you do that? Um, we know that there are lifestyle-based um, countermeasures to weight loss associated muscle and bone loss that older adults can partake in like resistance exercise um, is helpful to maintain muscle if you can make it more high impact training that's even better for your bone Um, what's that mean so let's, let's just define high impact for a moment for our listeners yeah, so basically, so your bone kind of responds to the stresses that it's placed on it, and so in particular, high-impact stresses. So if you do something like um, jumping, let's mm-hmm. even say, uh, which may, you know, may or may not be, and this honestly is the difficulty in, in the research I do because there's the, the ideal, and then there's the, you know, what people can do safely and are willing to do. But, you right. know, if you could um, maybe do, like, um, uh, leg drops, um, or, or um, some people even walk with a weighted vest. Sounds right. kind of crazy. Um, but basically just to try to load your bones in a way that, that you are uh, impacting them and, and help, helping them to maintain their structure. Kristen, I've been carrying Dave in this business for the past 10 years, so I know what it's like to have a lot of weight on your, on your, on your back and so forth, so I understand that. Wow. Uh, but but, but no, let's, let's talk about this, this research that you guys did. There was a study aimed to, to quantify the risk of doing nothing. Uh, you did yeah. some, there was a group, and then they kind of walk us through that, yeah. what you guys yeah. did, and, and what were some of the results from it? Yeah, and let me actually, as I segue into that, let me, let me mention, um, because I think this is appropriate for the exercise bit of it. You know, we know that exercise is a pretty effective um, way to, to maintain muscle and bone. The fact of the matter is that it's hard for people to do it. I mean, and so so the um, study that we conducted that um, I'll tell you about here in a second was specifically designed to really be targeting dietary changes. Right. Because making two changes, making it is hard. And so we, we wanted to design a 
program that really just focused on the, the diet side of things to see if that was effective. We know exercise is effective. It's just that people have trouble doing it. So anyway, the, the study that we um, completed and recently um, uh, was picked up by a couple of news outlets um, was a study that um, looked at a higher protein, uh, nutritionally complete weight loss program. And by nutritionally complete, um, for the uh, it really means um, adequate in micronutrients, right. um, making sure we have enough calcium and vitamin D, which are really important for muscle and bone health. Um, and, and comparing that diet plan to um, a weight stability group. And as you mentioned, the, the reason for that contrast is because a lot of times what happens is, is you have a geriatrician, a, a doctor that's working with an older adult, and um, they are talking about weight loss, and there's a pause because there's sort of this, you know, theoretical risk that you have this person that, you know, may, let's say is obese, wants to lose weight, but if they do lose weight, they might lose muscle and bone, and that could exacerbate disability and fracture risk. And so, anyway, I think that a lot of times in the clinic, people don't know what to do, and so they don't do anything. <laughs> they just say, well, let's right. revisit this in six months. Right. And so, so this study was really designed to sort of, com okay, let's do something, and let's compare it to the, maintain the status quo and see what happens across a variety of health indicators. And so um, we looked at weight change, um, we looked at body composition change. We looked at mobility. That's a really uh, important outcome for older adults. I mean, if you can't walk, you probably aren't going to be able to live independently. Right. Um, we looked at bone, and um, we looked at some biomarkers that predict um, mortality, believe it or not, and how weight loss may affect those. Okay. Um, so and I can go what, through what, what, turn, or you ask me, what, what would you want to know? Yeah, no, I, keep going on that, because I want to know, um, you've studied this stuff, and so we know that there are some realities, right? And this is this is the thing. I don't want this just to be another segment about, oh, we all know we should lose weight or, you know, lose fat, I guess, mm -hmm. more precisely. What what should people be doing? What changes can they make uh, in their lives uh, to get started on that path, right? Like you said, we can't change everything mm -hmm. all at once. Where do we start? Mm -hmm. So, so this study, and what I could tell you from the research we did, was looking at a diet approach period and just right. to see if that was effective. So this uh, diet plan that we had folks follow, and there were um, about nine, a little less than 100 individuals enrolled in this study for a six-month period. Half of them were randomized to our weight loss program. Half of them were the weight stability arm. And those in the weight loss arm were following this higher protein, so trying to get about a gram of protein per body weight per day, that's kind of dietitian speak for, for a higher protein, mm -hmm. um, which is challenging to do when you're losing weight. I mean, it really is. It, it does require some kind of intentional planning on, on your part. Not impossible, but just I think requires a little bit of, of yep. planning. Um, and, and as I said, also making sure that, that calcium and vitamin D was adequate during the weight loss. So, so I guess like from a you know, practical standpoint, that's what we did. So we made sure they were getting enough protein, probably, you know, above what the recommended dietary allowance is, but I think probably more appropriate for what an older adult needs to maintain muscle and gotcha. bone okay. um, uh, and, and vitamin D and, and calcium. And when we did this, I mean, what we saw is that these people lost, I mean, quite a bit of weight. They lost about 8% of their weight over the six-month period, um, and the majority of it was from fat. So they lost about 87% of what they lost came from fat, which... Um, I just say, in comparison to other studies in the literature, this is great. I mean, normally you expect at least a quarter of what you lose to be from muscle and bone, and so this was, you know, a lot less. I mean, you're going to lose some. I mean, I yeah. think, you know, that's just that's the reality of it. But by and large, these folks were able to preserve their muscle and their bone, uh, and then from the, you know, from a kind of a, a clinical outcome standpoint, their mobility stayed the same, their bone mass stayed the same, bone quality even improved a little bit. Mm. And so I think that this, um, you know, 
you know, from a kind of holistic standpoint, was a plan that really tried, you know, did what we hoped it would do. You know, we got people to lose fat, they maintained their bus- muscle and bone, and then a lot of their clinical indicators that, it, you know, a geriatrician would be concerned about um, stayed the same or even got a little better. So, so in a, in a nutshell, if the uh, average listener right now is trying to figure out what the heck they should do, are we saying increase it to about one gram of protein per kilogram of body weight, have some vitamin D, have some calcium, and you're better yeah. off? Like, is that is that the outcome? That- yeah, I mean, and, and honestly, maybe even just a little simpler than that. I think that, you know, in terms of, like, what you might eat, I think this is just really thinking about, you know, consuming, like, lean proteins um, kind of at your meals, like, throughout the day, things like um, you know, a, a chicken breast or a lean ground beef or fish flare, something like that, and then you know, non-starchy vegetables, so, you know, um, greens, if, if you like them, if you, you know, um, and... Um, um, well, I guess leafy greens, yeah. green beans, broccoli, things of that nature, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what age should they be focusing on this? Like, is it at 50 and above or is it 65 or what? what's the uh, age? Well, this study, so our, I mean, our study was looking at folks who are 65 and older. I mean, and I do think like the risks for things of like sarcopenia and, and fractured, I mean, obviously that goes up as you get older, certainly as you get into your seventh and eighth decade of life. But I, I mean, honestly, some I think, Sometimes I joke that I'm at the wrong end of the spectrum. You know, I think this stuff really should start pretty early on. Um, so I don't think it, you know, I think you can think about it in middle age and hopefully, you know, give yourself some reserve going into to older adulthood. Thanks for your input. Uh, we appreciate it, Dr. Beavers. Absolutely. Thank we've you. Been joined, we've been joined by Dr. Kristen Beavers, who's a researcher at Wake Forest University, and uh, reminding us again about uh, some healthy choices that we can make in our health bucket, right, to improve the quality of certainly of our retirement. We're going to talk about that at our upcoming seminar. Yeah, that'll be on March 26th, Tuesday, 8.30 p.m. at the Four Points Sheraton Hotel in West Calgary. You need to reserve your seats. Give us a call, 966-8400. That's 966-8400. Or register online at morethanmoneyradio.com. There's some differences between investing in men and women and some unique risks for women. Tune in after the break to hear about those and how you can overcome them. You're on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Welcome back. You're here with Dave and Faisal on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Um, you know, Faisal, when we say the word retirement, retirement means a lot of different things. It's a complicated period of life. There's lots of different complexity attached to it. And in amongst that complexity is buried uh, the differences uh, between men and women. And we often talk about, uh, you know, there's differences sometimes between how men and women invest and so on and so forth. But you know what? There's some unique realities that I think women face. Um, with respect to saving for retirement, you know, along the way. And sometimes some sacrifices that I think women make that perhaps uh, men don't. But for sure there are some differences here, and we want to explore that. Yeah, when there's a sacrifice or uh, it it builds into a disadvantage, it it hampers the future. Uh, We should get into the details more about this future and how it impacts and what can people do about it and so forth. Because I think... Um, we need to uh, educate and inform individuals of these impacts because it does impact the pocketbook. It does impact 100%. the lifestyle in the future. Yeah, 100%. And we've got, uh, there's a report out by CIBC, and we've got Kathleen Woodard, who's a Senior Vice President, CIBC Imperial Services, to uh, to kind of walk us through some of this research and highlight, I think, some of the areas that we need to draw attention to. So first of all, Kathleen, thanks for joining us on the show. Thank you for having me. Okay, so we've, we've given a bit of setup here, and, and hopefully we've done justice to uh, what we're going to talk about. But I want to start with, um, with a stat here that I found interesting. 69%, so we'll call it 7 in 10, um, women will make financial sacrifices for others throughout their lives. Nearly 30% of women say that they've reduced or stopped saving to take care of children 
or elderly loved ones. Uh, I want to address sort of the, at a high level, uh, it doesn't have to be that stat, but the, the, the differences that you see, the sacrifices that sometimes women are making that perhaps men aren't, and generally speaking, the impact of that. Yeah, absolutely. So it was interesting because what we found in the CIBC poll is that while both men and women make financial sacrifices to care for loved ones, we actually found that women take the lion's share of those care responsibilities and often take the greatest financial hit. Um, So what we're seeing is that many more women than men are actually putting their careers on hold or they're reducing hours or they're in some situations giving up advancing their career to care for kids. And And I think intuitively we would all know that. But it's not just about child care. What we're seeing is a growing number of women making similar sacrifices later on in life to care for a spouse or an aging parent or or a sibling. And so, of course, this has a direct impact, as you were just speaking to, about women's earnings, power, and savings. And so that that piece around women, one in three saying they've reduced or stopped saving as a consequence of child care and elder care. And sometimes the elder care is not really prepared for in advance. Uh, so what we're finding is that this puts women at a considerable disadvantage when it comes to saving uh, for their retirement. So what we actually found in the study, which was, I, I think, very eye-opening, is that women over the age of 55 have saved less than half of what men have saved. And, of course, women live longer. They're likely, likely to face higher health care costs. So this really means that they have to do with more uh, with, with less. So can I just ju- jump in here? There, there's some people who, when, when they found out we were going to do this on the show, said to us, well, if they're a couple, a husband and wife, it's their money. Who cares if one's saving more than the other, long as the overall family objective is being met? What do you, what's your response to that kind of a thought process? Well, I think that there, for sure, what we're seeing is that, that couples need to think differently about this. So if that's the reality, that we know that women are going to have the, the child care responsibilities, the lion's share, but also often are doing also the elder care responsibilities, mm-hmm. I think there's things that, that people need to think about that as a couple you can take advantage of. So things like ramping up on contributions in the woman's name early, um, taking advantage of things like spousal RSPs, which oftentimes people don't consider, and of course the benefit of of doing something like a spousal RSP is is that the spouse is getting the, the, the tax deduction and using their contribution room, but the person who will be off is, is um, increasing their savings. And the benefit there is that you're balancing out the savings, but that also helps, of course, from income splitting down the road so that you're paying the least amount of tax possible in retirement. Mm-hmm. There's also things about sharing and splitting costs that couples are also uh, considering. So making sure that young couples are splitting parental leave. We're, see- we're seeing that more and more these days where um, you know, the impact then on, on one spouse isn't um, disproportionate to what's happening with the other, with the other spouse. I think when you look at an, a, a, a woman on her own, uh, and the longevity of her time uh, on this earth. More importantly, the sacrifices that she makes, the financial impact. So, uh, you know, Kathleen mentioned a couple things. One is when you're raising children, yep. uh, you, you're not working, you're not contributing to CPP. That has been adjusted now. Yep. You're not contributing to your pension plans. Some pension plans don't account for that. Um, you know, you're not, you're not saving in RSPs or long-term savings. So that's uh, issue number one. Then later on when they have, when they're taking care of elderly parents yep. or spouses or what have you, they're, they're not only are they leaving the workforce and not contributing, but they're also losing out on their peak earning years. Mm-hmm. And that can be a big impact for the family, more importantly, for the savings of the future. Yeah. And this is a huge, huge impact. And so I think um, 
when you look at disability for women, it's usually longer than it is for men. So now they're out of the workforce even longer. So mathematically, this is a one big cluster well, of you know what. Well, like it's it's a challenge. It's a sure. big challenge. Yeah. It's, it's, and and unfortunately. Many, many people do not sit down and get the advice of or strategy to deal with these issues. So let's talk about that, Kathleen. Um, let's talk about strategy. So we, we know there's some inequities and there's some realities that are what they are. What, let's, let's talk about how can, how can women take control of their own finances? What's the strategy as a couple if you're in a, you know, in a relationship to try to, to, to balance out these inequities and potential problems? So I think, um, I, you know, I think you mentioned some really good things, which is, first of all, I think making sure that, that women are also seeking financial advice. So sometimes um, when people are in a couple, uh, if, the, if the man is the one that's leading with, with seeking um, financial advice and dealing with an advisor, it's really important that women have conversations with advisors mm-hmm. to think about, you know, what are their long-term goals. You mentioned earlier investing. One of the things that we also found in the poll is that women, much more than men, lack confidence when it comes to investing, and they're also investing more conservatively. And so everything that you talked about around being out of the peak earning years, being able to have the same amount of savings, that problem gets compounded by the fact that women are investing more conservatively and sometimes avoiding appropriate risk given the time horizon that they have. So it's really important, I would say, that, that a woman sits down with an advisor to um, make sure that you are, are having a diversified, well-balanced portfolio that has the potential for higher returns so that the savings you do accumulate are working for you. Mm-hmm. I, I think when, when individuals sit down with an advisor, and I think our industry is to blame for this somewhat, the conversation about the investments is the primary conversation. Right versus the conversation about the plan and the strategy to reach that goal. Yeah, the goals and objectives. Right? I think that's where when you when you we've had this in our situation. But I would say women are way better at that than men at the planning for, Absolutely. Right. At the and planning identifying side, the goals and objectives. I, when, when, we, when we sit down with a person who wants a second opinion, usually and, and you can jump in on this one Dave, yep. um, the the woman or the the wife in the conversation will say, "I leave the investments to him so I don't want to even want to come to the meeting." Right. And I and I always say we're not talking about investments. We're talking about the bigger situation, the right. problems, the issues, your dreams and goals of how we're going to achieve that. Right. That's more important than the investments that yeah, we whether select. Whether you own ABC Bank or you know whatever. whatever. Yeah. yeah. So I, I think we have to, as an industry, and more importantly, individuals as, as listening to the show, need to remember that when you sit down with an advisor, you have to go from a planning and a strategy perspective, yeah. not from an investment perspective. I think you nailed it. Uh, Kathleen, we're quickly running out of time, maybe 30 seconds or less, um, if you can sort of wrap up what your takeaway on this research was and, and maybe um, some advice going forward. I think the best thing I would say is that um, women need to plan ahead, and I think that you've articulated it well. I think it is about women just facing the reality that there will be this additional burden and as well as joy on them in terms of, of these kind of care. So anticipating that, um, speaking, working with an advisor to build that into a long-term plan mm-hmm. so that you are in control of making the choices that help you have the financial wealth and health that you want in your life. Kathleen, I think that's well said. Thank you very much for taking some time with us today. Thank you. We've been joined by Kathleen Woodard, Senior Vice President, CIBC Imperial Services, and talking about some of the financial sacrifices uh, that women make that can potentially impact their long-term success. Now, we're going to talk about a lot of this notion that you just raised and Kathleen uh, was talking about, about the, the plan. And 
the goals and objectives. And and Faisal, we've we've embarked on this notion of uh, education now. So we're yes. not gonna, we don't want to talk necessarily about not to say we we won't, but we don't want to talk about individual stocks. We want to talk about the big picture, the plan, how to map out getting from A to B to C and enjoying that lifestyle that you want, and all the complexity attached to that in our upcoming seminar. Yeah, we call it bulletproof your retirement. That's on Tuesday, March twenty sixth, eight thirty p.m. at the Four Points Sheraton Hotel in the west of Calgary. You need to reserve your seats. Give us a call, 966-8400. That's 966-8400, or register online at morethanmoneyradio.com. All right, join us after the break, because we want to just talk a little bit about how much should you disclose to your professional advisor. That's an interesting topic. Uh, join us after the break. You're on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Welcome back here with Dave and Faisal on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Let's bring another cool show home here. We know... Um, you know, we, we know there's complexity in terms of uh, all of the different things we talk about. Proper planning we've talked about, health we've talked about, all of these different things, my friend. Which leads me to an interesting question, okay? okay. So we've talked about lots of things and everything but stocks and bonds today. Um, I had an interesting couple of conversations uh, this week, and, and here is the gist of it. How much information should you be disclosing to your advisors? Wow, that's a good question. Right. I'm biased on the answer, but let's carry on. No, it was interesting. So I, I was sitting with a, a client um, who was transitioning to us, okay? So she went from one advisor yep. <clears throat> yep. Um, and decided to come right. to us. Right, and so this okay. was, this was uh, early days, um, and we were talking about certain aspects, and it wasn't about stocks and bonds, certain aspects of her life, the family dynamics, trying to get a profile to help determine... A better understanding of her situation. Right, strategies. Yeah. And she said to me, um, it's none of your business. She said, sorry, she said what? She said, it's none of your business. It's none of your business that To I... some of these questions, okay? Wow, okay. Right. And I thought, well, <clears throat> you don't need to disclose that. I said to her, you, you certainly don't need to disclose anything you're not comfortable disclosing. But I said, this unfortunately is my business because to advise you properly, we need to know what we're advising for, right? Ah, okay. Goals and objectives. Gotcha. And, you know, we had the conversation and it turned out very well. But it's, it got me thinking, because I had a similar conversation. It wasn't quite as direct as that. Another one um, over the past couple of weeks. And I thought to myself, maybe this is something we should raise, right? Because I think about um, uh, Andrew on our team as an example, leading the financial planning team, yep. right? Yep. And if somebody uh, goes through a financial planning exercise to try to help us understand how we're going to uh, advise and achieve their goals, but doesn't disclose everything, what happens? Well, the you numbers know? don't work. Things don't work out. Things don't work out exactly. So it was an it was an it, it was an interesting it was an interesting question. So I wanted to raise it, right? Because what happens, right? Why wouldn't people disclose things? People would dis, would probably withhold things if they're embarrassed. Maybe they don't trust the person that they're talking to with the information. Yeah. I mean, there could be a whole raft of different reasons. But yeah. uh, regardless of what those reasons are, what's the impact? Yeah. Yeah. So let's let's kind of split it in two areas. Okay. One is I don't trust you. Yep. So let's use the, the doctor analogy. <clears throat> yeah. Okay. And so I've been a, a, um, a culprit of this. I have sat down with a doctor and not disclosed everything to them. Right. Okay. Um, because I didn't trust them. Right. Yeah, I know they're a doctor. Right. But I didn't trust them. Right. Uh, it's rubbed me the wrong way, so I didn't okay. share everything. Fair enough. Get in and get out. Right. You know, you get seven minutes with a doctor in this province, so right. you have to leave. Okay. So... Then I went to another doctor and fully disclosed because there was trust. And then I started thinking, you know, when, when, while you're saying this, is why do people, you know, not open up if they if if they're to their advisor? And I think part of it is a trust issue. Right. But the other part of it is um, embarrassment, right, or or fear of judgment, right? 
Yeah, I mean, that's a good one. Yeah, you're right. I hadn't thought about it that way, but for sure. Because I, I've, I have, I've seen clients of ours say, it's not much, but here's my portfolio. Right. Or it's, okay, don't laugh, but this is what I did. Right. Or basically, don't judge me. Right. And it's, it's amazing to me that people are worried about the judgment of their advisor when they're dealing with them about their financial future. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised people are judging in the first place um, about what's happening. And we, we don't really judge. We just, it well, is what it is. So we just deal with it. Right. Um, but I, I think it also speaks to, I, I, you know, as I was thinking about this a little bit, um, I came up to those, some of those conclusions as well. And you and I have talked about this, uh, you know, as part of a debrief and, um, but I, I'm not sure. Part of the conclusion I had, uh, Faisal, was that maybe people just don't understand the implications of all these things, right? So, sure, wealth wealth um, is a much bigger conversation than what stocks and bonds you own in this particular account, right? Health is part of the wealth conversation. Yes, right. Legacy and the kids and the family dynamics and how you're going to protect them is part of the yes. wealth conversation. So let me give it from, from an advisor perspective so our <laughs> listeners have a better understanding. If you have fina- fa- family dynamics, for example, a dependent child, right. adult child, right. or you've got a, a, a parent who you're help funding for um, their long-term care needs, or you're... Or what about if a child is leading an alternative lifestyle that... that you know, you don't agree with. Okay. Okay. People get embarrassed about that. Somebody's going to judge me. No, no, no. This is an important element of the family dynamics for planning and protecting that child. Correct. Right. And so when we have these different, I'm going to call them issues or concerns that are part of a person's life, it gives me as an advisor more understanding of how we should handle the financial and wealth management going forward. Right. Where do we dedicate our assets? How do we protect? Where do we make sure that we've got the right support that you need? Yep. Basically, I have an idea of the full gambit of of resources that we may need, like legal or medical or tax or whatever it may be, Correct. so we can bring in the right resources uh, to meet what your needs are. Yeah. Because I'll tell you, when the markets are volatile and people are or are not making money, they sit down with you and they, they have a concern, but the concern isn't the portfolio, it's everything around the portfolio is being impacted right. because that entire goal was not shared with the advisor at yeah. the time, and that causes more a- anxiety, right. may have emotional reactions that are not the right way of doing things, that can actually uh, really impact or hurt the individual, the family. Yeah. So I think when we're opening up, we need to kind of uh, be aware that the advi- the more the advisor knows, the more that they can actually dial in, assuming that that advisor is an advisor and not uh, from a wealth management perspective, Thank not you. just yeah. an investment advisor and right. f- talking about investments. Right. right. Yeah, I think that's an important, and, and that was sort of part of what you and I had talked about, um, you know, after this, these couple of experiences when I raised it with you is, is I think our, our industry is in a bit of an evolution, right? I mean, you go back 35 years, this was about, um, you know, buying and trading individual securities, stocks yep. or bonds maybe, right? And it's now evolving um, into a total wealth management, particularly at this stage of life, like the stage that we talk about in retirement, okay? 
has all of those complexities attached to it. They become relevant to the conversation. You know, Dave, there's still advisors out there that just talk about the investments and the economy, and that's it. Right. They don't have these deep conversations about what's the overall objective goals of, of your money, uh, what's your lifestyle look like, what is your biggest anxiety or issues that you have personally. Right. Like, they're not having these kind of conversations. That's why they come to us. Right. Right. They're, they're telling us that their advisors are not having this conversation. Yeah. So that's where I think an, an individual needs to assess, is their, um, their money guy, mm-hmm. money gal, talking just about money mm-hmm. or talking about more than money. Right, yeah. Right? Oh, yeah, nice. Right? And so I think that's where if the assessment is they're talking just about money, then you need to have that conversation with them that I'm not going to disclose everything to you because we're just having that conversation about money. Or you need you need to consciously know you've made those decisions yes. and then not have an expectation that that person or team can do something beyond that. Great point. Right? So th- I think you can choose whatever experience you want as a client, and whether it's a client or a patient of a doctor, of a lawyer, of an accountant, or of a, you know, of a, a wealth manager, right? You pick that experience, but I think it, you have to be very clear about what you're going in, um, what expectation you're going in with. Because when I had this conversation with this gal and I said, listen, you don't need to disclose anything to me if you don't want. Okay. I just need to educate you about what expectations you should have on what the output can be. Yeah. Right? If I don't know a bunch of this stuff, then I am limited to this silo of information. I will make decisions and advice based on that. And you you can't come back later and say, hey, you should have known this. I can't read your mind. Yeah, for, for you and me, I'll, I'll use the analogy again of the doctor. That's like you sitting down with the doctor and saying, only assess my leg. I'm not going to tell you anything else about the rest of my body. Right. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. Right. And and you made an important point. I think a lot of it, I mean, there could be a whole bunch of reasons. A lot of it could be based on trust. Think about um, if you're not disclosing, is that a conscious choice that you're limiting the input and limiting the advice? Or is there something behind that going on? I think yeah. that's really, really important for the overall experience. we got to wrap this up, however. Uh, let's remind everybody about our upcoming seminar. Yeah, on Tuesday, March 26th at 8.30 p.m., at the Four Points Sheraton Hotel in West Calgary, give us a call to register, 966-8400, or go on our website to register at morethanmoneyradio.com. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of More Than Money. Uh, you can access any of our past segments on morethanmoneyradio.com or have them directly delivered to you. All you have to do is search for More Than Money CHQR on Apple Podcast or your favorite podcast app. Thanks for tuning in to another edition here on 770 CHQR. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada.